Well, good morning. I'm Pastor Allen. We're glad that you've joined us. Uh, we normally take a topic we talk about it for several weeks. So we're in a topic called different. I got to ask the first service. If somebody says, you're different, you could take that as a compliment or you could take that as what? An insult. Um, but we're studying a book in the Bible called First Peter and has several themes. And one of the big themes of First Peter is that Jesus followers are different. If you're not a Jesus follower, we're welcome. We're glad that you're here. Um, and maybe you'll find out your life is a little easier than, than ours, but hopefully not. You will desire to be part of God's family as well. Uh, today's topic is the most encouraging message you never wanted to hear. All right? Now, Peter talked about us being um, exiles, sojourners, uh, holy, set apart, i.e. different. And so that's one of his themes of this course, writing to the church of the first century. So I got to thinking, what are some things Jesus never promised us? All right? Things Jesus never promised us. Well, he never promised us we'd be financially rich. He never promised us that we wouldn't have relationship problems. He never promised us we wouldn't have health problems. He never promised us that um, we wouldn't have, our plumbing wouldn't back up. He never promised us it wouldn't rain on our vacation. He didn't promise us a lot of things, right? But I want to talk to you today about something he promised us that maybe you're not too excited about. Jesus promised us that the world, will hurt, world would persecute and hate us, those who call ourselves Jesus followers. But I want to try, and, or Peter's going to try and give us a different perspective on persecution because most of us don't want anything to do with it, right? But he said, you need to expect it, and so we need to learn to uh, constructively deal with it. So I got to thinking, all right, Peter, this thing come up, Peter's original idea. Actually, Jesus talked about this quite a bit. In fact, he talked about it at the beginning of his ministry, and he talked about it at the end of his ministry. So we have a sermon called the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus preached, probably the greatest sermon ever preached, at the beginning of his ministry. And right at the beginning, who knows what the first 12, 13 verses of Matthew is called? It's got a name. The Attitudes, all right, are beautiful attitudes. And he says, blessed are those, it's kind of counterintuitive or countercultural. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Well, we don't think we're blessed if we're poor. Anyway, you know what the last one of those Beatitudes is? Let me read it to you. In Matthew chapter 5. God blesses those who are, here's our word, <laughs> persecuted for doing right. The kingdom of God is theirs. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you're my followers. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't feel too blessed when, when people say evil things about me. But Jesus said, you are blessed. Now, how can we be blessed if somebody's persecuting us? Well, I thought of a couple reasons. One, it gets our mind off of uh, the material world. We're so tied into the material world, it becomes such a priority to us. But when you're persecuted, that stuff doesn't matter so much. So we begin to think more about uh, eternal things, more important things. Another thing we're going to talk about this morning is it strengthens your faith. It just does. 
when life is easy, eh, it's like muscles, right? If you don't uh, exercise your muscles, they don't get stronger. And your faith doesn't get stronger unless it's exercised, and it gets exercised when we're persecuted. And one of the big reasons, I think, is the way you and I respond to persecution, when we respond to negative things in our lives, that's the greatest testimony or witness or example we can give to people that aren't Jesus followers. Because when I successfully go through difficulties, people are going to see that and say, well, there's something special about this person. There's something different, a good different. And we would say it's because we're Jesus followers. So that was the beginning of his ministry. Now, if I heard Jesus preach that sermon, I don't know if I would jump in and be one of his followers, but people did. And then on the next, excuse me, last night of Jesus' life, he's meeting with his disciples in the upper room. And in John records several chapters, we call them chapters, of what he taught them. It's the last chance, right? Last chance to teach them. And so in that dialogue, discourse, Jesus had this to say to his disciples. If the world hates you, remember they hated me first. What's going to happen to him in less than 24 hours? They're going to nail him to a cross. How much more hate can you receive? So if the world hates you, remember hated me first. I chose you to come out of the world, be different. So it hates you. Since they persecuted me naturally. Naturally, you better expect it, they will persecute you. If they persecuted your leader, they're going to persecute the followers. And we are Jesus' followers. Now, when Peter's writing this, Nero's the emperor in Rome, controlling the Roman Empire that controlled the land of Israel. And he was a terrible person, evil person. Uh, He killed his mother. Can you imagine killing your mother? It's just weird, right? He killed his wife. They believe he killed his second wife. I don't know if I'd married him after he killed his first wife. But anyway, ladies, you can make that decision. Um, He wanted to build things, I guess, to honor him when he's gone. And the Roman Senate wouldn't let him. So you know what he did? He burned down Rome. (laughs) Then you have to build it, right? Now, Even if you're the emperor, you don't want to be blamed for burning the city down, so he had to point the finger somewhere else. Now, the Christians were already being persecuted in the Roman Empire, but he said, oh, you know, it wasn't me, it was these these Jesus followers, these Christ followers, these Christians, they burned the city of Rome down. So the persecution of the Christians got even worse. Now, we're 2,000 years later, we don't live in Israel, But statistics tell us that the last decade have been, the church has experienced the worst persecution it has in a long time. I'll give you a quick statistics, not long. Um, In an average month, in the last decade, in the average month, 30 days, more than 300 people who claim to be Christians are killed for no other reason than that they're Christian. Over 300 every month. Over 200 churches are damaged or destroyed by fire or something at church buildings. In a month, 200. And approximately 800 people are either tortured or imprisoned or raped 
Again, just because they say they're Christians. Now, here in the United States, not quite that way, is it? You know, you might get a little persecution at work. You might even lose your job, I don't know. You might lose a promotion, um, depending on where you work. Some of your co-workers uh, may speak unkindly about you. But we don't get that kind of persecution here, do we? So again, this is going to be the most encouraging message you never want to hear. So let's move over to what Peter had to say. This is a theme all through Peter. We're just going to look at the end of the book, chapters 4 and 5. So in chapter 4, Peter says this, Dear friends, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised at what? Fiery trials are going, you're going through. If something strange was happening to you, he said, okay, don't be surprised when difficulties come into your life, especially because you're a Jesus follower. It's not something strange. It should be something you I expect. Now, if you stand up for Christ in a community that doesn't like Jesus, then you're going to be persecuted. But even in our community, in our culture, if you boldly take a stand for Christ, people aren't going to like you. There's not. But I got to think about it. I don't get persecuted very much personally. Um, the people in my neighborhood are all nice. Not all believers, but they're all nice. They don't, they don't give me a hard time. Um, most places, they find I'm a, a pastor. They don't give me a hard time. Um, sometimes, when a family gathering, some of my siblings uh, may make ne- negative comments about uh, about God, but I, I don't get really get persecuted very much. It might be the same with you. So I have to ask, my, ask myself, why? Or why not? Jesus said, and Peter said, if you're my follower, you're going to be persecuted. So what am I not doing that I should be doing? Or what am I doing maybe that I shouldn't be doing? One way to think about this is a sports analogy. Use soccer as an example. Some of your kids play soccer. <clears throat> so, let's take two examples. One, your kid's like the worst player on the team. And so most of the game he's sitting on the bench. He's probably playing with his phone or looking around or whatever. Now, does the other team concern themselves with your child? Nah, no concern at all, right? They're on the bench. They're not paying attention. They're not involved in the game. They're not going to persecute them. They're not going to attack them. They're not going to try and stop them. On the other hand, if your kid's the best player on the team and he's out there when, when, when a kickoff is, it could be any sport, what's the other team going to do? What's their priority going to be? To stop your child, right? Why? Because they are an quote-unquote enemy, right? They are not trying to do you good. So I got to thinking, well, maybe, you know, I'm kind of sitting on the bench somewhat. I don't really, like I said, I don't really get persecuted. Again, that's just me personally. So those of you who are Jesus followers, you're all on the team, so to speak. But maybe you're sitting on the bench too much like me. If your life is, yeah, I don't get persecuted. Another thought I had is a soldier. 
Some of you have been soldiers. And you're, you're serving, and you go into war, and you come back from the battle and say, Sarge or Captain, they were shooting at me. What's the, your captain's going to response going to be? Well, what did you expect? You're the enemy, right? I'm not going to read the verse, but in chapter 5, Peter describes Satan as a roaring lion looking around for who he can devour. But if you're not in the game, doesn't have to worry about you. Doesn't have to worry about me. So I put it on your outline this way. Christianity is not a playground. It's just not. I wouldn't live in any other way. Uh, the benefits of being a Christian are huge. But it's a battleground. Nero, again, I told you some weeks ago, that he took Christians and literally dipped them in wax and set them on fire. When Peter refers to fiery trials, he could have even thought about it in a literal sense. I read about the persecuted church every day, and um, especially in Muslim countries, Christians are treated pretty uh, poorly. Uh, they could be raped. Uh, if you're a Muslim and, and leave, your whole family will desert, desert you. If you're married, your spouse may desert you. Uh, if you're a place where there's a famine, you're the last people to, to get food when it's distributed. So Peter's saying, have no delusions. Being a Christian has its difficulties. I truly believe, and Peter would say this, that the benefits outweigh the difficulties, but there are difficulties. There are trials. There are persecutions. Okay, so he said, don't be surprised. What's he say next? Instead, be very glad. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute, Peter. I ain't got really glad when I'm persecuted. So why, how can I be glad? Well, these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering. Wow. Can you imagine being partnered with Jesus? What an honor. He's going to say that later. So you'll have this wonderful joy of seeing His glory when it's revealed to all the world. I think part of our problem is that we seek comfort, which is kind of natural. I don't know about you when I pray. I pray, God, give me a good day, give me an easy day, or you know, a restful day, give me peace. I pray for good things. I don't pray for persecution. I don't think we should, but we should expect it. But the problem is, when my life is so comfortable, my faith really doesn't grow. I don't really need God when my life's, life's comfortable. I do, but I don't feel like I do. But when I'm going through trials, when I'm struggling, when I'm being persecuted, that's when I call out to God. That's when my faith grows. That's when I feel close to God. When my life's too comfortable, I can kind of drift away. So let me ask you. Is your life more comfortable or are you more boldly taking a stand for Christ? Which means persecution. He goes on. If you're insulted because you bear the name of Christ, you'll be blessed for His glorious Spirit of God rests upon you. 
We shouldn't seek persecution, but we shouldn't avoid it. Somebody said something negative about Christianity at work, we should speak up and defend them. We shouldn't go around maybe preaching all the time, trying to upset people. Then he goes on. There's a, ca- a caveat here. If you suffer, however, it must not be for murder, stealing, making trouble, or prying to other people's affairs. We bring some suffering on ourselves, don't we? We do dumb things. We sin. There's no, there's no blessing for the suffering we do for the, for the stupid things we do. And sometimes Christians are fundamentally just unpleasant people. They're not very nice. So, that caveat, caveat aside, he goes on. But it's no shame to suffer for being a Christian. There might be some shame in our personal suffering because of what we've done, but there's no shame in suffering for being a Christian. Praise God for, here's the word, privilege of being called by his name. It's a privilege. I know some, some of you are sports fans. I know, did, you, did you ever go to a game where you're on the, uh, you know, baseball, football, whatever it might be, local, you know, Smithsburg, Boonesboro game, and you go to Boonesboro for the game with your Smithsburg shirt on? All right. You're going to be somewhat persecuted, right, by the crowd. But you consider it an honor, don't you? That's my team. I'm rooting for them, even if everybody around me is not. How much more so the fact that we are a Jesus team, Jesus family, and we get to defend his name. So, it's a privilege. So, he goes on. So, if you're suffering in a manner that pleases God, you're suffering because of your stand stand for Jesus, keep on doing what is right. Keep on keeping on, right? And trust your lives to the God who created you, for he will never fail you. So I got to think about our lives a little bit, and uh, we believe in, in financial generosity. So when I started pastoring in December of 77 at Greenbrier Baptist Church, which isn't far away, uh, very small church, very small salary, we had one kid and soon had our second child. <laughs> Didn't make much money. But in the six years I was there until 1984, um, we bought a house, and my wife got a two-year degree from college. Now, when I say generous, I believe generosity doesn't start till after 10%. So we gave about 20% of our income away at that time. And we were able to buy a house on a small income, buy a house, and, and, and my wife go to college. Was God faithful? Amazing, Absolutely. Then fast forward to 1990. We're back from the mission field. We used to be missionaries in Portugal. Uh, that's one reason we're excited about Justin and Amanda. Um, we've been there, done that. So we come back, and we didn't feel God wanted us to go back to the mission field. So in the middle of 1990, I'm unemployed. I didn't have a job. And we have four kids at this time. And for the next year, I just did odd jobs. But every income, any income we would have, we more than gave 10% of it away. And to this day, I don't know how it happened, but we never needed food or clothing or gas to put in the vehicle of our car. God was faithful. So the question is, do we trust Him? 
Do we trust him? Do what is right and trust your lives to him. You know, what is trust about? I think a couple things. One, trust counteracts fear. It's so easy to be afraid, right? Afraid of the economy, afraid for your health, afraid for your kids, fear for your grandkids, uh, the country, the, the weather. It's all kinds of things we can be afraid of, right? But when I trust Almighty God, the fear goes away. I use the word depression. That's probably not the best word because you can be clinically depressed. But when you get down, you ever get down? Maybe for whatever reason. Usually it's because I'm not trusting God. And so when I can trust God, that, that, that brings me out of that, the doldrums, brings me out of that, that negativity I might be in. Another thing is, I don't know about you, but sometimes when people mistreat me, I want to mistreat them back. And I'm going to use the word hate. And Jesus says, no, 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 you're supposed to forgive everybody. And so when I trust God and forgive the person that's mistreated me, I no longer hate them. So Peter gives us a principle here, right? Do what's right and trust God with the results. Right? So be generous, not only with your finances, but with your time and your talents. Uh, Serve people. Um, Jesus said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve. So you and I should serve people. Serve our community. We try and do that. When I think of trust, I I ask myself this question. Does God know what he's doing? What do you think? God know what he's doing? I sure hope he does. (laughs) We're all in a lot of trouble. Now, when you think of persecution, you think your life is going to get worse. And when I read about the persecuted church, it just seems like, yes. But history has proved that the church grows during persecution. What's happening to the American church in the last, well, since I've been a pastor, probably the last 40 or 50 years? Has it grown? No. Interesting correlation, right? No persecution? The church doesn't grow. Personally, no persecution? Maybe I don't grow. So, skipping down a few verses, we're going to, going to finish up Peter. Chapter 5, all of you dress yourself in humility as you relate to one another. For God opposes, some translation says defeated. If God opposes you, he's going to defeat you, right? God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Blesses us, gives us what we don't deserve. So, if that be true, obviously it is, I need to humble myself. On the mighty power of God at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. Okay, so why would I seek not to be persecuted? Well, I want to be liked. I want the recognition of other people, which is fine. But whose recognition should we desire most? Especially if there's a choice. If I humble myself, whatever God chooses, He will recognize me. He will honor me. He might not even be on this earth. Humility is an int- and pride is an interesting thing. I came across this quote I really like 
one of my wife's favorite Bible teachers. Being aware of how arrogant you really are is the first step toward humility. I have to admit I'm guilty. When I'm with somebody, I think I know what's... I mean, I've been around a while. I've been a pastor. Uh, I've learned some things. But what's your attitude when you're talking to somebody? Is it to learn from them or try and tell them all the stuff that you know? Kind of arrogant, isn't it? <laughs> and what you know may be true. And then we'll get to probably the most famous verse in... And Peter, some of you would know this first. Uh, verse 7. Oh, where'd it go? There we are. Casting all your cares. This is a fishing term. Anybody a fisherman out there? I'm not. All right, but you cast the lure out there and the bait, try and catch the fish, right? This is going to be a little bit different than normal fishing, though. It says, cast all your cares, all your anxiety, fears, worries, concerns, once for all. So if you're fishing, you only get to throw it out there once. But no, in this case, you, you, you don't want to bring it back. These aren't things you, you're wanting to keep. Cast them all on him. No, why? Why does he tell us to do that? When God tells us to do something, he always has good reason. <laughs> why? Because he cares about you with deepest affection and watches over you very carefully. We have a, a word in English, carefree. Now, when you think of your life, and when I think of my life, do I think of my life being carefree? According to this instruction, of, it's, it needs to be. You know, we need to be responsible people, parents, taking care of your children, etc., etc. So, anxiety, worries, fear, whatever word you want to put in there, Whenever you and I are in that mode, we're not trusting God. You can't do both. You can't worry and trust God. If I trust God, I'm not going to worry. I did think of something maybe you and I should worry about this morning. Why am I not being persecuted? Then he goes on. And after you've suffered for a little while, not if you suffer, after you've suffered for a little while, <clears throat> the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Uh, pastor last week talked about a firm foundation. Some translate that word establish you as a firm foundation. So it's as Jesus said in the end of the Sermon on the Mount, when the storm comes, it doesn't wash the house away. Your faith is on a firm foundation. But summing, summing up, don't submit to circumstances. We're tossed about by our circumstances, good or bad, right? Don't. Submit to the Lord who controls circumstances. And back to that principle. Do what's right and trust God with the results. I say it this way. It's always right to do what's right. When I do what's right, whatever I'm suffering is a name of, of, of right or good or Christ. And I'm blessed for that. 
When I do something else, not so much. So, are you in the game? Are you sitting on the bench? Does Satan not have to worry about you or me? And notice how it's actually not the end, close to the end of, of the book. What's Peter say? All power, authority, whatever, to him forever. Amen. You know one way you can translate amen? God gets the last word. And God always gets the last word, doesn't he? Amen. Let me pray with you. Father God, thank you. I thank you for this message, even though it's uh, a little uncomfortable for me and maybe all of us. Um, yeah, I've got to figure out why I'm not more, more persecuted. We thank you that we can cast all our cares, worries, fears, anxieties on you. We don't need to worry about them. You're in control. And you love us with such great love. Why should we ever doubt you? Forgive us for not trusting you, because that's what happens. And God, we want to pray for anybody here or watching, listening, that's not a Jesus follower. We pray that they would be the day that they would understand how much you love them, how much you care for them, that they are separated from you by their sin in their life, but it doesn't need to be that way. They, a prayer of faith, trusting Christ, inviting him into your life, confessing that sin, and your life would be transformed. It's changed forever. We pray today you make that decision. God, most of us are here are probably Jesus' followers. So help us to understand or to know what we're supposed to do with what we learned today. Something we may need to change, something we need to start doing we are, haven't been doing, or maybe something we need to stop doing or do differently. We're supposed to be different. Not we're different, but different like you, Christ. We thank you that you promise us to empower us to do that, if that be our will. We thank you for all you've done for us and you continue to do for us. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.